All right. Welcome back, Kathy. Good morning. How are you? Good. How about you, Al? Thanks for having me. Of course. No, I'm extraordinarily excited to see you. We've had some great discussions recently on ethics and inclusion analytics uh, through the People Intelligence Alliance. But today we're talking about a topic that's very exciting to me because this is going back to my personal background. And the article that you wrote and the research that you've done on organizational design is really something that needs to be heard broadly because that's actually I'm going to pause there. How about we introduce you and a little bit about the research and, and the work that you've done around org design? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Al. So Kathy Andrus, I'm the Senior Vice President of Research at the Josh Wilson Company. And the, the Josh Wilson Company, you probably all know Josh. Um, um, I um, joined Josh and the team a couple of years ago, uh, one and a half years ago, after working at the Wilson by Deloitte Group, leading research um, there on talent and workforce. Before that, I have a background in management consulting for about 10 years and then 10 years in in industry as a talented organizational development and effectiveness leader. So I have both the practitioner background as well as the um, consulting background on this area. So when we started studying this topic of organization design about a year ago, I was very, very excited to see what we find. And so now this is the result of many, many different conversations, interviews, a big survey that we did to really demystify this like big topic of how you design your organization for success. Well, before we get into some of the slides and research um, that you uh, have produced, I just want to ask a, a broader question because organization design has been uh, Kind of an esoteric topic over the years. It's been something that has been viewed as a nice to have or within the domain of HR, but the pace of change is such as, hey, I don't have time to be designing things. I have to do work. So what was the impetus for going after this specific theme? Yeah, what we found out actually that in the pandemic, because things were changing so rapidly and so um, like just the pace of change has accelerated in, in all sorts of areas, organizations have had to just bring new services, new, new products to the market. Of course, they had to design touchless services, um, like different offerings, online offerings like never before. Every company had to transform their delivery mechanisms. Um, if you think about any industry, really, whether that's retail or whether that's healthcare or whether that's uh, financial services, they had to rapidly redesign their offerings, but then also rapidly redesign where and how people work themselves. So the whole hybrid work, remote work, of course, had to be accelerated. I remember a couple of years ago, actually in 2020, I presented at your conference, Elle, at Papao, and I talked about hybrid work a lot. And then... Little did we know that a couple of months later, actually, our uh, remote work, and little did we know, a couple of months later, we would all be put, put into the the um, um, remote work like frame of reference overnight, right? So every right. company we talked with, of course, had to do remote working, and what that means is you had to people were just different doing different jobs like rapidly, basically. And you didn't have any time to think about, can we bring a big consulting company in that helps us redesign work? You just had to do work differently overnight. So uh, 
organizations have, have been asking us a lot, actually, can you help us with organization design? And what we meant by organization design was not just organization hierarchy design, but uh, work design itself. How do we work differently? What skills do we need? What capabilities do we need? Who works with whom? Who connects with whom? How do we engage all of those topics for us, fellow the organization design? So that's, I think that was the impetus for us to study this topic in a more practical way, not in a theoretical way. Yeah, well, th thank you for doing this. And yeah, I want to ask this, and I have uh, you know, some results, like I said, that I want to pop up. But you know, what you just shared prompts one more question before we do that. Uh, who did you talk to? You know, like who is responsible for org design? Is it HR? Is it IT? Is it operations? Can you speak to that? Yeah, we talked with a lot of different people. We talked, of course, with HR because that's our primary audience. We also talked with business leaders because in, in reality, the, the pace of change required every business leader, honestly, to transform their operations and their organization literally overnight. IT, of course, is a big part of that too, because the tools and technologies that you use to support people's work, of course, come in there. If you think about, for example, all these online offerings, you can't do that without IT or without technology as well. So um, in a way, it, it can't be just an HR effort. It has to be driven by HR because they look after the people side of things. But of course, operations, IT, finance, all of these groups actually have to come into the into the org design discussion. I absolutely love that. And I want to come back to the notion of governance and the ongoing accountability and how this work is done at speed, at scale, you know, over time in, in a sustainable way. But before we do that, I want to highlight the article that you wrote that got me all fired up. And you have a <laughs> video out there that uh, speaks to this as well, which I think is fantastic. So congratulations on, on doing that. Uh, but I just want to scroll down and highlight this. And I'm actually going to show everyone the link. And Jenna, if you don't mind making sure that it's distributed out there, you can find this on Kathy's profile on LinkedIn. But here's the uh, the link as well. Uh, if I scroll down here, I want to get to that first uh, graphic. And if you want to speak to this, uh, Kathy, I'll, over to you. Yeah, so the way that we think about org design, uh, before I go into the, the specific numbers, is not just organizational structure design, but we think about org design really broadly. We think about business model design. So literally, what's our business model? What business are we in? Who are our customers? Our operating model design, which includes, of course, how do we go to market? How do we bring, um, what kind of uh, offering do we have? How do we optimize for customer success and customer performance and customer delight? We think about work design. What is the actual work of people and teams that needs to be accomplished to support this operating model? Uh, we think about job design, which is how do we put these, all these work activities into jobs. And then we think about organization structure design. And then we also think about implementation and adoption and um, governance and methodology. So we think about all of those components. And what we identified in this chart, what we show in this chart here is that it's a really, really mysterious topic. It's probably the most mysterious topic in HR um, because what you see in green here, those companies, when we did a big study on this, um, a big survey on this, those companies, the percentage of companies who does that very well are well, basically. So work design is the least understood topic. 
but it's also the most important topic, by the way. So work design, 21% do this fairly well. 44% say we're really not good at this at all. And even if you think about org structure design, which is usually the thing that most companies think about when you think about organization design, still more, more than half of companies actually are not good at this at all. So lots and lots of mystery around this topic. Yeah, I, this, frankly, when I read the article, that this is what got just, I literally got chills and I got all fired up because I, we talk about workforce planning, we talk about talent acquisition, we talk about job descriptions, we talk about skills, all this stuff. And it invites the question, are we accurately defining the work in the first place? And not only are we doing in the current time, are we projecting forward? So we're hiring for the future as well as the, the current state. I say no, no, no. And this validates that. And so yeah. I would love to see organizations, leaders, not only executives, but I'm talking, you know, operational leaders to get better at understanding the work. And that's going to help everything downstream from planning to hiring, to learning and development, to, you know, identifying key talent and so forth. So I certainly oh. celebrate this. So I hope this is a, a you know a key takeaway for everyone. By the way, I didn't say this at the outset. If you all are listening in and have questions, uh, whether you be on LinkedIn or, or, or Twitter or YouTube or elsewhere, type your questions into the chat and we can bring them and pose them to Kathy uh, as we go. Yeah, uh, I'm great. just checking over here and making sure that we uh, don't have yeah. questions. Oh, let, me, let me expand on what you just said, because I have a great story for this particular Please. that you just made. We talk, with, we talk with a lot, a lot of different business leaders in our big reset discussions. These are weekly discussions with about 400 companies where we talk about these topics like org design or talent acquisition or learning and development topical as the environment is, is um, shaping up. So basically they talk about the, the great resignation and all those kind of things, how hard it is to hire anybody. And one, one person, he's actually leading organization design and workforce planning and people analytics in a very large bank who you all know, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but um, he said to us, this is such an important topic for us because what happens for us right now, managers overhire, every manager can decide what they want to hire for, they overhire. So for example, in a people analytics space, people think they need a data scientist when they really need somebody who does data cleanup. 90% of the time and maybe 10% of data scientists work. So they hire these high powered data scientists, very talented people, and they come in and they think this is this great job where they're going to do all this higher power work, but then they do data cleanup all day long. And what happens that of course people turn around, it's like, oh, wow, this job really sucks, right? I didn't yeah. want to come here to do data cleanup all day long. Yeah. Who's to leave again? Uh, yep. Because Managers think at some point they'll need the data scientists, but really for the next two years, they're probably going to need the data cleanup people. And that yep. happens everywhere in the operation, not just the people analytics, of course. It happens everywhere in the operation, usually when you don't design the work itself. Amen. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's, it is a great example, and that's a great improvement opportunity. And I hope that is recognized as such. It's not a criticism. It's just a, an opportunity, particularly as we move through time and we have this these perpetual disruptions, both externally and internally. You know, that's going to change the nature of the work. And even with people analytics, there's so many tools that can facilitate uh, data cleanup. So if somebody comes in, yeah, if they have those tools in place, then 
you know, they can work on the more advanced stuff. If those tools aren't in place, then yeah, they're going to have to do that manually. And that's, you know, not work that a PhD wants to be doing. So yeah, your point's really well taken. So, so I brought this up, uh, Kathy, you want to speak to this? Yeah, of course. And I touched on this a little bit. So org design, of course, is not a new discipline at all. It's been around for probably hundreds of years. And when we talk with many companies, they still use the star model, which of course is a good model, but it was invented in the 70s. And if you think about the 70s, of course, what didn't we have in the 70s? We didn't have the internet. We didn't have big data. We didn't have mobile phones. So 70s is really, really a long time ago. So we thought, it was really time for a new model and a new approach that is more a business-driven model and a business-driven approach. So that's kind of the, in a nutshell what this is. Um, this is business-driven organization design, not starting with the structure, but doing the structure last, right? So you're going to think first, what business are we in? Even we don't change that. And of course, even sometimes when you don't do org design for the entire company, you just design the operating model or the org design for a function or for a part of the team. If we are people analytics team, for example, you still need to think about what business are we even in? Who are your, our customers? How do we operate? How do our customers uh, get their products, their services? And then you can think about how do you design the work of your particular team around that? So always thinking about the business model first, the operating model first, even if you don't change it. In that context, leadership culture, uh, all of those kind of requirements are in the business model design as well. Uh, talent strategy, of course, is part of that too. How do you orient around customers? What roles do we need to to get customer success? And how do we govern? How do we have metrics around that? And then you go to the work design. And work design is really, really important and really, really misunderstood. We just saw. Um, and then you think about what's our job architecture and how do we plan for our workforce? So the strategic workforce planning concept that you mentioned, Al, goes in there. And then um, actually, how do we make these jobs really flexible? Because we all know what happens with your job architecture, right? When you post a job and when you have a job, by the time you have posted it and somebody goes in there, it's kind of obsolete already. So, <laughs> so how do you make sure that these job designs are flexible and, and really um, uh, aligned around the work itself and not just like these rigid structures? Well, let's talk about that for a second as we go back and forth like that. Um, is the uh, frequency in which that process happens, um, and you know, if I might, you know, in the with our time that's you know limited today, ask about who is involved in all this. I we mentioned it earlier, yeah. but what does it look like in say a leading practice company or what would you hope it looks like in the near future? And let me stage the question a little bit more. If if IT is a key stakeholder and influencer, HR is, operations is, you might have facilities, you, you might have a, a variety of others, even you know legal Yes. At what frequency do they meet and what information are they consuming to make wise decisions around job design and org design? Yeah, I mean, the, the point about information and frequency is really, really important because it used to be um, that you do org design as a project like once every couple of years when your organization gets out of whack, right? So yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you're like, oh my God, what we're doing actually are the jobs that we have. We have more jobs than people. Or do we have more job descriptions that people that sometimes happen? So we have um, 
the work is not reflected in these job descriptions at all, or like, oh, something is broken. Um, mm. We can't recruit talent. We can't hold on to talent. Some of these um, things happen. And then you do a, like a big project around work design, you do it behind closed doors and behind the curtain and the, exactly. the consultant work, works with the leadership team. And then you do the big reveal and you tell employees, here's your new manager and here's your new role, here's your new job. And of course that doesn't work all that well because people said, well, you don't even understand my work, right? So one of the big uh, ahas that we had here, and we had many big ahas, but one of the big ahas we had here is involving employees themselves in the organization design process. And only about 10% of companies even do that, which is one of the lowest adopted processes. So bringing employee voice in the work design itself, it sounds obvious because obviously like as a leader, you don't understand really to the level of detail that you have to the work of the people that you design for. So you got to bring people's voice in. It sounds very obvious. So the kind of data you need to bring in is, of course, listening to employees, involving employees, doing design thinking around the work itself as well. So all of those requirements come in there. And I'm, I'm, I love that you brought up the, the, the maturity model, um, L, because we are actually talking about that now. Most companies uh, the lower levels of maturity and the way these maturity models go, we always have these four level maturity models. Uh, level one are these that are least effective and have the least good outcomes. Also, when we say outcomes, we don't just mean employee engagement or people outcomes, but then also business outcomes like financial performance, customer satisfaction and innovation outcomes, uh, change agility, all of those kind of um, outcomes. We mean all of those outcomes. So. Most companies are actually in the lower two levels of maturity. And let me just talk a little bit about these maturity levels. So um, usually a company starts out with chaos and we call that haphazard structure. And you see that one about, about one in four companies are at this level. Uh, for them, organization design is a complete mystery. Every manager hires their own people and they just basically come into like, they say, well, I want the, the example that I, that I just made. Um, of this big bank that said people just over hire, right? And then usually finance comes around and puts a lid on it, right? Finance said, you can't over hire anymore. I'll put a lid on it. You can't go up above this cost. And then there's kind of no, uh, no design around it at all. So we call that haphazard structure. Uh, and then companies move to the second level, which level two is always interesting. It's always the level that we see that Companies think they're already there. So those are, the, but then there's two more levels to go. So the level two organization design with one in three companies are at this level, as you see here with these numbers, they think about a company as a well-oiled machine. When something is broken, you just fix the machine, right? But, mm -hmm. and that might have worked in more the traditional, maybe like, um, uh, supply chain or like, uh, thinking about basically before we were in a knowledge and service economy, that worked probably really well, but we're not there anymore at all, right? Uh, every employee has so much knowledge, so much, so many insights that we don't have at management or leadership levels that we have to tap into them as well. So the bigger heart at this level is how you operate matters more than how you organize. So you need to understand how the work itself happens and the relationships and the connections of the people, not just the reporting structures. Um, one example I have of that level of how you can move to the next level there, Bank of America, for example, they use a tool called WorkView, which helps them 
understand how work actually happens on a really granular level. And, and then they also add to that organizational network analysis as well, because uh, in addition to decomposing the work itself, they also want to see who works with whom. So they add to the org view insights, which is more on tasks and work, uh, work um, processes, the um, organizational network analysis. So I thought that might be interesting for you because Yes, absolutely it is. And it's a great story. And I just, uh, I'm smiling for a reason because this is a narrative that's long overdue. And the fact yeah. that you've put research to it, I think is you know, fantastic. And I hope uh, the listeners and viewers um, are finding it inspiring. So with this in mind, and I know we got uh, one more thing to talk about. I want to talk about who is going to facilitate the journey on this maturity model. And yes, the executives are ultimately responsible, uh, namely the CEO. Uh, that being said, uh, the role of people analytics, and I, in the interest of time, I'm going to project a little bit here. I Please. see HR and people analytics specifically being a facilitator of this process and enabling it. Would you agree with that? And if not, you know, who is? Oh, absolutely. I think HR has to be in the middle of that and, and people analytics, strategic workforce planning done well has to be in at this, at, like absolutely at the center of this as well, because without data about your company, but then also about the market overall, like outside data on what jobs are going to be evolving more so more getting more important or less important and helping inform the work and the roles and the jobs with all of that data you're kind of out of luck, right? You're just shooting in the dark. Um, and without, without the compass, I, without I, I hug you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, right? And, and you know that I'm a mathematician, so of course um, I like data and I like insights, but without data, you can't really, you have to be led by data and then of course add your insights to it. So people analytics and strategic workforce planning, talent intelligence data about skills and capabilities that you have, both internally, but then also in the market itself um, and bringing in kind of a, a, a data culture, data first approach, I think is really, really key. And that we, we see that in the level four companies, which we call agile and accountable. Well, these agile and accountable companies, I mean, the value proposition is clear and I'll bring up our, our final slide here. Do you want to speak to this? Yeah, of course. So um, the journey to this agile and accountable, we call it agile and accountable because both agility and accountability are actually really, really key. You can read more about it in, in my article, but uh, agile and accountable organizations actually are much, much more successful in all sorts of ways. So the journey is not easy, but it really pays off. We'll be almost four times more likely to delight your customers, 27 times more likely to engage and retain employees. And as you see here, 30 times more likely to adapt well to change. And of course, change is everywhere and it's coming to us faster and faster. Um, so, so it really, really pays off. It's not an easy thing to do, of course, too, because you need both data, you need business insights, you need to bring together all these business aligned teams um, with cross-functional teams with all the, the constituents that you mentioned, Al, but it's really, really important to do this and to do it well. Well, yeah, I... I love that there's not that it's needed, um, although I will argue with myself that it is needed, uh, that there needs to be a selling of this notion uh, because it 
in my view, uh, it's obvious, but I, you know, I have to respect that not everyone has that that vantage point that I have over the course of my career that's developed my lens. And you and I have grown up with data and analytics, and this is probably the last thing I want to talk about. And it's something that I've been struggling with and I'm learning a lot about. Um, I listened to a podcast, uh, Brene Brown interviewed Amishi Shaw. I'm also uh, thinking, uh, listening to and reading, I think again by Adam Grant. And what I want to highlight that's mentioned in both of those um, interview and, and book is if we bring the insight, it just doesn't mean the world's going to change in line with what the data and insights are, are telling us. That there is the recognition that we do have some legacy mindsets, for lack of a better term, you know, some unthinking to do, uh, you know, think again, Adam Grant. And so coaching organizations to take the next step. What are some of your recommendations or, you know, based on the organizations that have gone to agile and accountable, you know, what do you see that they have done in common to get to this agile and accountable um, uh, organization? Yeah, I think the leadership, like it or not, leadership is of course key, right? If the leader doesn't want to turn their organization around into a more agile and accountable organization, they're just not going to do it. So um, there's different ways you can do it. I'll mention a couple of different ways that uh, some of the organizations we talked with and we highlighted in our study did this. So one example is Telstra, the big um, telecommunications company in Australia, very large uh, telecom. Uh, so telecom is usually like more an old-fashioned industry in most cases. And we talked with uh, Alex Badenoch, who is their CHRO, and she told us they literally changed it overnight. So they did the big, like, rip off the Band-Aid and change everything around to agile teams, agile, like cross-functional teams, teams that come together around customer problems. So that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is what we heard from Bosch Power Tools, who are a very large German manufacturer of um, like tools, drillings, things, and all of that. They started actually in that business operation. It didn't start with tech. Some, some companies start with tech because tech is easier to do agile, of course, right? Agile methodology and all of that. But they started with their business operation and they did that because they found that the lost market share because they didn't address customers' problems. So they told us when they started with their business teams to have people actually assign around customer problems, they told us, it's a great quote, um, I would like to quote it, um, it changed us from a company that produces power drills to a company that solves drilling problems. And that's yeah. the kind of mindset that you really need to have selling widgets that you have and nobody needs, but how can you solve the drilling problems in different ways? So uh, starting either big or small, whatever works best for your company, both of them work. And I think both of them decided what worked best for their company and who was ready for, for that change. And then you either scale up or you just rip up the bandit and do it overnight. <laughs> well, I absolutely love it. Yeah, I'm, uh, anyway, I, I, I don't want to overly bias my impression of what you're uh, advocating. Um, I just am excited for the world to take this step because it's uh, eh, Amishi Ja, who uh, peak mind, fantastic. I, I'm just a massive fan of of who she is and, and the work that she does. She talks about um, effectively meta consciousness, meta awareness, 
And I think there's a role for organizations to be meta aware. And, you know, what is the bigger picture and how can we design for that as opposed to staying so locked into what has been the case historically? And so with that, you know, I want to ask this one last question, if we can answer it quickly. Um, and it, you answered it a bit, but not going backwards. Um, how can organizations prevent not going, you know, backwards to the same old, same old? You, what would you advocate? Yeah, I mean, I love the call out to change management because that was one of the things that we identified. It was really, really key to. Um, I think one of the changes that they made in from level three to level four is put employees at the center. So bring the employees into the organization design themselves as well. So, for example, I mentioned Bosch Power Tools. They actually let every frontline manufacturing employee design uh, decide which kind of team they want to be on. So they tell them. You tell us how to organize. Should you organize around regions, about, around geographies, about customer segments? And they let employees actually design these teams themselves. So I think the, the big aha for me was bring the employee in the middle of that. It can't be just a top-down process. It has to be a bottom-up employee-driven process with, of course, leadership support. So leadership support is really key, but bringing employees at the center of it and designing with employees, not for them. Is I think where it's at. Well, Kathy, we got to wrap. You're awesome. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for well, doing what you do. Um, how can people learn more about you and what you're up to there at the Josh Burson Company? Yeah, find me on LinkedIn. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to talk about this topic. I could talk about this forever. We could probably do two more podcasts or three more. <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't yeah. pick up on that at all. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do that. So yeah, just find me on LinkedIn. Um, you have my profile in there and um, love to connect. All right, Kathy. Thank you. Thanks again. Awesome. You be well and hope to see you in person uh, very soon. All right. Sounds well. good. Thank you. All right. And thank you all for joining us today. Appreciate it. All right. well, thanks see you for soon. your questions too. Of course. <laughs>